friends, welcome to The Index, a sacred love podcast. I'm your host, Dr. A. This is a platform for our community to share our stories of healing and resiliency. We're going to talk a lot about purpose and personal accountability here. So thank you so much for joining us today. Friends, welcome back to The Index, a sacred love podcast. Today, I have someone very special here with me. So Dr. C, who um, served as the chair of my dissertation committee, is here. He's joining us today to share his story. His story, of course, is amazing. Um, again, he's the, the, he's the guy responsible for me sitting here in front of all of you with a doctorate. So um, if you can join me in welcoming Dr. C into our community. Dr. C, welcome. Thank you. It's really great to be here. It's such an honor that uh, you've re- asked me to come here and speak uh, about my uh, story. Yeah, well, your story is amazing. And I have your book somewhere on this shelf um, because, you know, when you became my chair and I found out you had a book, I had to get it. And then I read it. I was like, oh, that's why I picked him. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just really happy um, that you were able to be here and would shut such short notice as well, but that's also how you are and that's how you show up for your students. So I'm not surprised that you're here. Thank you, thank you. It's really a pleasure. Um, So my story is uh, probably like other stories of other people. Um, And uh, I grew up in a uh, family of five. Um, I was the middle child or the black sheep of the family. And um, I was uh, the ruination of the home. I was the devil of the home. I was the one who would amount to nothing. And um, unfortunately, that's the kind of environment that I grew up in for 17 years. Mm -hmm. Um, It all started, um, I was uh, five years old when my dad uh, was asked to go to Mexico City and start Mojasco Industries there. And so we uh, moved from New York, upstate New York, we moved to Mexico City. And uh, when we got to Mexico City, we, uh, it it was interesting because number one, we didn't speak Spanish. And um, my brothers and sisters who, uh, I have an older brother and an older sister and two younger siblings. And my uh, older kids, older brother and sister, went to the school where all the diplomats go. So they went to the American school. Well, guess where Vernon went? Vernon went to the all Mexican school. And uh, uh, so I was quickly, quickly ingrained into the Mexican culture. I learned how to sing in Spanish. I learned how to do the Pledge of Allegiance to their flag. I learned about Montezuma and Cortez and uh, Um, the uh, Indians and how they conquered Mexico and all that stuff. But um, so that was the beginning of it. We lived there for five years until I was 10 years old. We moved back to the United States. Well, in Mexico, I was in second grade going into third grade. And when we moved to the United States, we didn't have a home. So my dad rented this little tiny travel trailer where we were all packed in there like sardines. I remember (laughs) it was five of us 
of four of us and uh, we were all packed into this little teeny uh i think it was about 20 foot 20 foot by eight foot trailer uh that's where we all stayed that's very but small it was it was so tiny it's like a tiny home you know and, and even tinier so we moved back to the states and my parents took me to the middle school well when i got to middle school something weird happened because my uh they put me not in second grade they didn't put me in third grade they put me in fourth grade because they said i was too old to be in third grade so i never went to third grade um <clears throat> i just skipped it so i was in fourth grade and i struggled a lot with mathematics mathematics has not been my friend all my life so um that's that that was the beginning there so i struggled i i passed all the grades into um into the different uh schools we moved quite a lot because my dad was in textiles and so we moved from new york we moved to north carolina um and that's where i kind of grew up in north carolina um when i was in high school i was the hippie type i kind of liked to party um, I got really bored in school and um, I was in 11th grade and I uh, had an English teacher. I, I'll never forget Miss Manning. She was an incredible, incredible English teacher and she inspired all of her students. And that's what I really loved. She inspired it. And here I made straight A's in her class, straight A's. And uh, this was in high school. However, in my math class, I was having problems with understanding some concepts. So I went up to the teacher after school and I said, um, would you help me, you know, after class uh, with, the, uh, with the math to understand the processes, the, the, uh, these formulas? And I'll never forget this. He said, Saluzniak, if you can't get it during class, forget it. I said, okay. So you know what Saluzniak did? When I got to class, I put my books underneath the, the seat and I slept the rest of the year. Of course, I failed mathematics. And so <laughs> when at the end of the 11th grade, my I decided that I was going to quit high school mm. because my father worked in textiles. My brother was in the Navy. My dad was in the Navy. My dad was a Samariner during Korean War. My brother was a Samariner during the Vietnam War. And I said, well, you know, um, I'm going to go ahead and quit and I'm going to go work in the mill. So I quit high school and I started working. Um, first, I started out as a, um, a Burger King or Burger Chef as a French fry creator. I, I did all the French fries. Then I was promoted to do hamburgers on the grill. And then from the grill, I went to register. And uh, so I worked to register. So you were ambitious. <laughs> oh, yeah. In fact, when I was 10 years old, um, I had a paper route. I had a paper route of almost 200 customers. And I would get up on my bicycle at six o'clock in the morning, rain or shine or snow, and I would deliver papers uh, to those customers. And they still remembered me as I got older and went back, the little paper boy that used to deliver our paper. So 
I was very ingenious. I, I always uh, worked. I, I started working like from when I was 10 years old. Um, I worked in grants. I used to build uh, bicycles and wagons and uh, all those toys, you know, for for the uh, for the department store grants. Um, then I went to work for the mill and I realized when I was in the mill, um, it wasn't for me. Uh, my job was to run the yarn off of the spools onto mm -hmm. these big, gigantic spools. Uh, 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 and they were gigantic spools and you would run the yarn onto those spools. Then when you finish, you hook them up to this chains that are up on a track on a rail and you push them down to the weave room. And um, they were heavy. Those, those suckers were heavy, full, big steel, steel spools. So I'd push them, I'd push them down there. They'd put them in the looms and then they would run for the carpets. I said, nah, that's not for me. So I decided one day, my buddy and I, we were in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. And um, I saw the Navy recruiter. So I walked into the Navy recruiter and um, I had hair down on my back here and walk into the recruiter and the recruiter says, uh, son, can I help you? And I said, well, I said, I'd, I'd like to find out about the Navy. Uh, my family is Navy. Um, I'd like to join the Navy. He says, well, he says, well, let me tell you about the Navy. He says, uh, are you a high school graduate? I said, no. He says, uh, well, he says, then your mother has to sign for you if we accept you and you have to take a test. I said, a test? Oh, no. <laughs> test. I don't like tests. Right, right. <laughs> so he put me in this little tiny room and I had to take the basic battery test which is a military exam that everybody takes. It's, a, it's general information. It's mathematics. It's and there goes mathematics studies. showing uh -huh. up again. <laughs> yep, it's mechanical comprehension and so forth. So I finish the exam and I walk out and he, he scores the exam and he says to me, he says, son, he says, I'm sorry, you didn't pass the exam. I mm. said, I was all bummed out. I was so, so discouraged. Because all my life I had been brought up and told I was a loser, you know, right. I couldn't do anything right. So <clears throat> the following week, the following week, we were in Greensboro again. And I see this recruiting office with this boat going over the wake. And it said United States Coast Guard. I said, Coast Guard? What does the Coast Guard do? So I said to my buddy, I said, man, you got to stop. So we stopped and I went into the recruiter and he started talking to me about the Coast Guard and how the Coast Guard saved lives. And, and it was a very humanitarian type of service. And boy, that was for me because I loved people and I loved helping people. Mm -hmm. And um, so um, I went into the recruiting office and he started telling me about what the Coast Guard was about and so forth. And then uh, he says to me, he says, well, how old are you, son? And I said, well, um, I'm 17 years old. He says, well, the only way that we would accept you is if your parents signed for you. I said, that'll be no problem. No problem at all. So he says, but you need to take a test. I said, test? <laughs> oh no, another test. This was crazy because the same basic battery test that I took in the Navy, 
I took in the Coast Guard. And so as I took that exam, it was like the Lord was speaking through me, you know, and um, I had um, accepted the Lord as my personal savior about a year before that um, through a uh, youth group. And um, we used to go up to New York City and do Christian puppet shows in the Bronx and uh, over there on um, um, in Broadway. Uh, we would go there. Uh, that's where all of the um, the uh, ladies of the night were, all the mm -hmm. prostitutes and the pimps and everything. And we would preach there in in front of everybody at that age. And um, that so. I felt that when I was taking this test that the Lord just was right there on my shoulder. Well, I come out of the test and the recruiter says to me, he says, son, he says, you just barely passed the exam. Mm. I said, what? So I could join the Coast Guard? He <laughs> says, well, well, not, not, not yet. He says, your mother has to sign for you. I said, okay, no problem. My mother will sign. So here's another one. The day that I swore in, a message came in to the recruiting office and said, no high school, non-high school graduates can come in anymore. So I made it right under the right. wire into the Coast Guard. So I, I found out later on that basically um, I, in my book, I wrote that I had what they call A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Back then they didn't have testing but I had a disability. I had a learning disability. I had a difficulty with retaining information and recalling information. Mm. So um, that's why I was having so much trouble passing exams and being able to study because of this uh, um, ADD or ADHD, whatever I had um, was, was holding me back. So um, long story short, I go to boot camp every week there's a progress test in order to pass from week to week right well guess what i had a very difficult time passing the exams writing the exams so i remember what happened was the chief who was the uh commanding uh officer for the barracks uh for my com my company he would call me in at night have me stand at attention at his desk and he gave me the exams verbally. Mm. And that's the only way that I was able to pass from week to week to week is by him giving me exam verbally. So um, I, I was able to pass. And um, at the graduation, um, I ended up going to a ship out of the difficult place of Miami Beach, Florida yeah. <laughs> at age 17. So uh, I got That's a vacation, of really. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> and uh, when I got to Miami Beach, that's where I met my bride, who my wife is Cuban. And uh, we've been married 47 years. We wow. have eight grandchildren and two children. That's amazing. It was, it was, it was crazy. Um, so my story continues as I was in the Coast Guard. Um, I was an E2. I was, uh, when they gave out your job titles in boot camp, they told me that I was going to be a fireman. Well, fireman deals with mechanics. I was very good at mechanics. So 
um, I became a mechanic uh, for the engine room. And one of the things is I realized I hated grease. I hated the grease and I hated the heat. And so um, here I was first in the Coast Guard and I got, um, I had a really difficult time because um, a lot of people are promoted to the highest level of incompetency. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what happens mm-hmm. is to make themselves feel good, they will tear you down. Mm. So as yes. a young man in the Coast Guard, again, I experienced difficult times while I was in the Coast Guard as an E2. So I decided that um, I had met my girlfriend and we were dating and stuff like that. And I decided that it was best that I transfer off of the ship after a year and a half. And I got stationed in another ship out of Corpus Christi, Texas. It was a smaller ship. So um, I uh, told my my girlfriend that I was going to Corpus Christi, Texas, and uh, we got engaged. So I get to uh, Corpus Christi, Texas on this ship, and it's a really teeny, teeny little ship, Uh, real close crew. uh, It was going really, really great. And uh, so then I ended up um, flying back to Miami and getting married and taking my bride away from her parents, all the way from Miami, all the way to Corpus Christi, Texas. Here we are on the ship and things are going quite well but I still was having a difficult time passing exams. And I was taking my third class petty officer exam as for a mechanic. And um, I was really having a difficult time. So my wife said to me, she would see me studying my courses because everything was correspondence courses. You do a correspondence course. And then um, while you're doing your correspondence course, after you finish, you take an end of course, test again another test another test (laughs) to show your proficiency so um my wife would see me studying in the closet really really hard and that's where I had my little desk set up so she comes up to me one day and she says honey she says why don't we save up some money and buy a cassette recorder Mm. I said okay so what, what are your thoughts now at this time um, you have to realize we were so poor, we couldn't go to McDonald's and buy a hamburger. Uh, we were making like $90 a month and we had a child. My son was born, John. And so we were struggling. And so she says, well, let's buy a cassette recorder. I said, okay, so w- what are we going to do? So we bought the cassette recorder. And what we did is I would record the question. I would give the answer And then I would record the answer so I could hear the answer. And that's how I learned how to learn through memorization. Yeah, I'm familiar with that process because I remember seeing my mother do that um, as she was going through the naturalization process. So Mm -hmm. I know I know what you're talking about. And then you walk around listening to it. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. remember you you internalize that that thing. And I use that technique forever and ever and ever. Um, so here's here's how God works. Here's how the Lord works. I'm on the ship, I'm in the engine room, cleaning the engine room, and I get a call from the captain. And uh, they called Polish people back then that were non-rated, 
uh, putting that with that we're non petty officers ski. So I'm Polish and he says, hey, ski, come on up here to the bridge. So I went up to the bridge where they steer the ship. And uh, he says to me, he says, listen, he says, I just got this uh, email um, and it's asking if we have anybody who would like to go to the educational, educational enrichment program. I said, educational enrichment program, Captain, what's that? He says, well, I really don't know. He says, it's a school to, to help um, with uh, education. I said, sure, okay, then I'll, uh, I'll ask my bride and uh, see what she thinks because we were newly married. And so it was six weeks in Boston. So I go home and I talk to my wife and she says, yeah, that's a great idea. God works in such mysterious ways. When I got to Boston, guess what? It was the preparatory course for the GED exam. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So here I am, I'm preparing, going through these classes, preparing for the GED. And um, so I finished the school and uh, I get back to my ship and the education officer had already ordered my GED. So he calls me into the office and I go in, I take the exam and uh, here I am waiting weeks and weeks with bated breath to see how I did You're right after taking tests. Again. Another test, right? And it's Another. something that's a struggle for you. So I can imagine how like, you know, you're on nerves at this point. Exactly, exactly. So we get a letter in and it says from the state of Texas, you have passed the general education development examination. The yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. And the stars was the limit from that point on. And um, so then um, our ship was being decommissioned. And they said to me, they said, uh, Ski, you have two choices. You can go to Mobile, Alabama, and you can work in the mailroom. Or you can go to um, Galveston, Texas on another ship and strike um, MK, which is a machinery technician. I decided that it was best for me and my family. We were going to go to Mobile, Alabama, because I wanted to be an uh, administrator and a yeoman to handle the personnel records and training and development and all that stuff. So I go to Mobile, Alabama. and. Um, the, uh, my responsibilities were to take care of the mail. So I worked the mail room, but then I also ordered the correspondence courses for <laughs> the yeoman, which is a administrator. Yeah. And since I had to stand the evening watch, the, the midnight watch at the gate guard from 12 uh, at night till four in the morning, that was the best time for me to study. So I studied my yeoman exam. And uh, one of the things that I had forgotten though is that when I was in EEP school in Boston, we had to fill out a dream sheet of where we wanted to go and what school we wanted to go to. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting in the mail room and I see this envelope addressed to me and it's orders to yeoman at class A school in Petaluma, California. So I can, so here I have orders now from the mailroom as I was striking yeoman to go to school. 
So my family, I tell my family, uh, my wife and, and, my, and my son, John, um, while I was gone in California, they went back to Miami to stay with grandma and grandpa. And uh, so I flew to California and I went to yeoman school. And uh, I graduated in the top of my class in yeoman school. And one of the things about yeoman school though, you had to type 30 words a minute on your typewriter. Well, do you remember the royal typewriters? I do, and, and then you had to push them. And yeah, and I learned to type a typewriter. And, yeah. and your fingers <laughs> would get caught in the in the, <laughs> yeah. in the keys. <laughs> Plus, to make it worse, they use carbon paper where you mm -hmm. couldn't see what you were typing. Mm -hmm. So I had to take typing classes and I would go at night and I would type at night while everybody was sleeping, I would go in there and type to learn how to type. So I was able to master the 30 words a minute on the Royal typewriter and kids uh, today. And then after that, after our class graduated, they got the IBM Selectrics with the automatic correction tape and all that stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I remember, um, the, I, I remember the correction tape because before that we were using the white touch, you know? <laughs> the white house. exactly exactly so uh, after yeoman school um i graduated as a third class petty officer and um my next station was um air station elizabeth city north carolina okay so um i fly back to miami i pick up my family and um <clears throat> we um here we are driving with a pulling a boat to Elizabeth City, North Carolina. My wife, as we're driving to North Carolina, all she sees is, is cornfields. She says, where are you taking me? <laughs> <laughs> so we get to Air Station Elizabeth uh, City and it's a really great, great station. Uh, we have nice uh, Coast Guard housing there. We're really getting ingrained. Um, I'm taking correspondence courses to become a second class petty officer. So you are always in school, right? There, there's always. a there's challenges for sure, but you're always pushing forward. Always, always studying because I always wanted to promote. And uh, once I learned that technique of studying, um, then um, it really helped me uh, to promote. So um, in Elizabeth City, I made second class uh, petty officer. Um, and the way that I studied is um, uh, we used to have to take, to become a petty officer, not only did you take the correspondence courses, the end of course test, plus you had to take what they called a service-wide examination. So everybody who wanted to promote to second class took this exam, mm -hmm. and then they ranked you by your awards, your letters of recommendation, all these points were together and you were thousands of a points difference, right? So um, the first time around, I made second class. So I wrote really high on the exam uh, because I would study um, the exams from other service-wide examinations. And the way that I studied, I would build these binders of information and I would read them over and over and I would study them uh, using that technique. So from Elizabeth City, um, I got a really incredible position back to Miami. Um, 
And um, I made first class petty officer in Miami. And uh, the next level was chief. Well, um, I uh, was in Miami as the uh, an opportunity came for me to um, first go to a ship out of uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. Okay. And on the ship, I made first class. And uh, I became the career information, uh, the career counselor on the boat. So then a friend of mine in Miami, who was the, uh, he was making officer, he was becoming a chief warrant officer. He went ahead and um, called me up and he says, hey, he says, I have an opening here as the career information specialist. You would be the first career information specialist in Miami. And your area of responsibility would be from South Carolina to Puerto Rico. Oh, wow. And you would do all the training and benefits and entitlements for the military 7th Coast Guard District. Would you want to come? I, without a doubt, of course. We of went course, to right. And uh, there, uh, while I was uh, first class there, I also made chief petty officer. And chief is like going from the worker to a manager. And uh, so it's a really big step. Um, so I became a chief. I wrote um, in the uh, chief's exam, I wrote like, I think I was number uh, eight out of uh, some a uh, hundred and some. And uh, so I made chief there and uh, I became the career information specialist. Well, while I was the career information specialist, I wrote this book called the benefits and, and entitlements uh, benefit Pay and Benefits Guide and Entitlements. And I wrote this book to help military people see what their benefits and entitlements and educational opportunities were and so forth. So after that, um, as a career information specialist, the uh, opportunity came to go to Yorktown, Virginia. And uh, when I got to Yorktown, Virginia, my responsibilities were uh, to... Um, hire the bands for the graduations. Mm -hmm. Since I was a musician, I was hiring bands for the graduations of the military people at Yorktown, Virginia every weekend. <clears throat> and so I was the ADT coordinator. Well, as the ADT coordinator, one day I go up to my captain and I said, Captain, I said, uh, why don't we create our own band mm. with the people who come here for school? They're there four months. So instead of standing watch um, in a building, we can use them in the band. So on orientation, we would get band members. And so we hired a re uh, retired Air Force bandmaster, and we started the Yorktown Ceremonial Marching Band nice. with the students. And that thing grew like crazy. Is it still here today? It still, it still goes on today. Nice. It, it, uh, yeah. So then I get another uh, crazy brain idea. And um, since I'm in education right there and I'm helping with education, I bring on the American Council on Education to Yorktown, Virginia to evaluate all of the military courses towards college credits. So when I did that, I go to the captain and I, um, I'm a chief now, I'm gonna make senior chief and uh, the captain says, I say to the captain, I said, Captain, I'd like to start the first education center for the Coast Guard. He says, okay. He says, let me find you some room in the building and uh, we'll, we'll I'll let you start 
the education center. So I was the developer and manager of the first learning center for the Coast Guard in Yorktown. And what nice. we used to do is, do you ever remember these CLEP tapes, CLEP examination tapes? Yes. Video tapes? Yes. Well, that's what I used. I used to help people with the CLEP tapes to get their CLEP exams and to get their college credits. But who better to help them than you, right? <laughs> <laughs> Because of then, your own journey, you're well prepared to support them. Yeah, exactly, guys. I'm a product of the system. You're a product of the system, right? Yeah. And then we had <laughs> then we had these Apple 3C computers with basic skills uh, computer program on it, and the Play-Doh computers we had as well. So I used all of the, that equipment to help people get their degrees. Uh, through non-traditional education through the New York Regents program. Then while I was the manager there, um, I developed the first distance learning course with um, the, uh, I can't remember the name of the Black University in Newport, in New York, in, in um, um, not Newport News. Yeah, Newport News. Um, we developed a sociology course through videos. And uh, we that was really successful. So then was that I their did, introduction into distance education? Into, yeah, into distance education back then using videos. Okay. And, and then I designed this program to evaluate the military people's credits towards college credits. Mm. And the way it worked is they would usually get about 30 credits for their military experiences. Right. They would do the CLEP exam, pass the CLEPs, which gave them another 30 credits. And then they could take uh, subject matter course uh, CLEP exams. And then I brought on St. Leo College on board to teach. I brought on FIT on board to teach. And then I brought um, Thomas Nelson College on board to teach to help our military people have a place where they could go to night school. And that's where I went to night school. I did my undergraduate at St. Leo College um, at, uh, at, on the base. Uh, at Fort Eustis, where they were as well. And um, I did my associate's degree in uh, liberal arts. And then I did my bachelor's degree in human resources administration uh, with a computer science background mm -hmm. uh, as a minor through that. So then um, after uh, building the learning center, um, I became the Coast Guard's representative for the education program of all DOD. And, the uh, irony of it all, Dr. C, the irony of it all, right? Just listening to your story and you get into this place and having achieved so much. But, you know, you're the person that no one thought would amount to anything. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is interesting. Exactly. So here I am. I got my associate's degree. I got my bachelor's degree. And then um, I, since Officer Candidate School OCS was there at Yorktown, I applied to, um, well, first I went to what they call the Chiefs Academy. I was in class number six for the Chiefs Academy, and that was for the elite chiefs to go to, to get prepared for Master Chief E9. So, uh, or become an officer from that. Mm -hmm. So I went to, I got selected for the Chiefs Academy. I went back to Petaluma, California for the Chiefs Academy and graduated from the Chiefs Academy. I was an E8 
at the time a senior chief. And um, I had to learn how to run. I didn't know how to run. So I learned how to run there at the Chiefs Academy. And uh, we also learned a lot of stuff about total quality management in that mm. course. And so that's where I become really in tune with TQM and customer service excellence concepts and so forth like that. So um, I went to the Chiefs Academy. While I was in the Chiefs Academy, I got really built and thin and everything. So when I get back to Yorktown, my captain encourages me to apply for officer candidate school. Mm. So I applied to OCS and um, I received a letter from the Admiral from, from the Commandant in uh, Washington, DC. And um, it said that um, they, I did get accepted, but I could not go because my diopters in my left eye were too large. Okay. So my eyes kept me from going to Officer Candidate School. <laughs> so what does Dr. C do? I said, okay, there's two ways to skin this cat. I can become a master chief and then, or I can go and become a chief warrant officer, which is you become an, a commissioned officer with your administration specialization. Right. So I go, I get stationed to DC next because of the education and I become the program manager for the officer postgraduate school program where I uh, would uh, organize the postgraduate school program for all the officers that wanted to go to postgraduate school. That's when that's one of my jobs in in DC. So, so now you're I getting into what graduate education? Graduate education. Yep. And so um, I helped all these officers go to grad school, and then I uh, took the warrant officers exam in Washington DC, and I became a commissioned warrant officer in Washington DC. So that was the pinnacle of my career, uh, becoming a chief warrant officer. Um, from uh, NE2 uh, to become a chief warrant officer too. And you literally climbed the ranks too. Exactly, everything yeah. was through taking tests. And one of the things that I did for the service-wide exams is I would build binders every year for that service-wide exam. Well, when I took my warrant officer's exam, it was similar to the basic battery because you knew general knowledge mm -hmm. and mechanical comprehension and all that. My binder was about that thick. And I knew every question and answer in that binder when I took that exam. So it was like me taking the exam from my binder. Yeah. Were you still using the cassette as well? I was still using that concept. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Memorization. Yep. So um, I uh, then became the uh, program coordinator for the uh, um officer postgraduate school. Then I got orders back to Miami to become the first relocation assistance officer. And uh, so uh, I, I uh, get to Miami. No, first I went to the reserve di division. So I, I get to Miami and I'm on the reserve, um, the, uh, the reserve officer, personnel officer in uh, Miami. And I'm the one who sent the folks to Desert Storm. Uh, all my reservists went to Desert Storm. And uh, then I was uh, getting ready to get promoted and uh, they offered me the relocation officer position in Miami. So I took that. And then I decided, you know, I'm coming up to 20 years. And at the time I was, um, when I was in DC, I went to George Mason University. 
to do my master's in college counseling. <laughs> so I wanted to be a college counselor. So I didn't finish my program at, in DC. So when I got transferred to Miami, I was looking for a program that had counseling program and I couldn't find any. So I decided to go to FIU, Florida International University to get my master's in uh, human resources development and adult education. So um, I started school in 95 and uh, I graduated from uh, FIU in 92. And uh, 94, I decided to retire from the Coast Guard. Since I had my master's degree already, I didn't know what I was gonna do. So um, there, that's, that's where I did. I retired as a W-2 from the, from the Coast Guard. I was gonna make W-3, but I wasn't gonna stay on for another five years. Mm -hmm. So we mm -hmm. decided to retire. And uh, my first job out of the Coast Guard was the training department at Miami Children's Hospital. And uh, we were one of the first ones to develop the customer excellence training program at, water, at the uh, Miami Children's Hospital. Nice. So Dr. So, C, you've done a lot of trailblazing because there's a lot of like opportunities where you were the first, you were the first person to do, you know, X and that's mm -hmm. amazing. Well, if you look at my resume, you'll see that what happens in my career is I'm placed in a position, I create it, and then I move on. Because I believe that my responsibility as a leader is to allow other people to take the baton and run with it. Yes. And me to get be given and, new opportunities. Right. You know, I love that you say that because I have, uh, I have another mentor in um at the university of oregon and dr hollenbach said to me once he said you know the best opportunities are the ones you create for yourself and you always hired a person that wants your job because exactly. they're gonna be busy moving mm -hmm. and they're gonna push you to move out right mm -hmm. and so that's you continuously creating and that's what i hear from your story well, you know, one of the things that I found uh, when I was in ministry, when I was involved in ministry as the uh, uh, volunteer coordinator, uh, we had about 200 volunteers in our church. Our church was pretty large. We were uh, almost 3,000 people in our church. And one of the things that I found is that people feel real comfortable when they get into a position. And I would try to push them out of the position to move up into another position to give somebody else an opportunity. Right. So, um, this, this didn't stop. This, my career did not stop from here. And so um, I decided after I retired, I got bored. So I was looking for a distance learning program and I found the best program that fit me at Nova Southeastern University. And uh, Nova had a computer degree program that was a computing technology and education program. And we were one of the pioneers again in distance learning because we went to school once a quarter, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then the rest of the time was online, what they call online was the U, the old green Unix screen email system. And that's what they called online back then. <laughs> so when you saw one of your colleagues fall off the email system, you knew that they fell off the program or something. <laughs> so... I went ahead and uh, enrolled in that program and uh, did my PhD 
in computing technology and education. I started in 95. I graduated with honors and I got my PhD in 98 from Nova wow. University. Three years. Three years. Three my, years. my dissertation, my mentor, she said, Vernon, the only way I'll take you on is if you promise me that you'll finish your dissertation. And um, I told her, I said, she was a, a, um, a little um, um, Jewish lady from New York City and she was my chair and um, she was really tough. And uh, I told her, I said, you know what? I'm gonna finish my dissertation in one year. And she You know said, what, Dr. C, this moment is so telling for me right now. You're saying she was very tough and I'm like, cause you were not. <laughs> <laughs> you are not and then when you talk about you know finishing your doctorate in three years I'm like okay this is where that pressure came from right because we, you know we powered through my program as well because you were not you were not having it <laughs> no no I wasn't I wasn't and I don't take I can't do it for you an excuse you don't take you don't take excuses either and we were just talking about this before we started the recording about when my father became um, ill with cancer. And I literally called you. It was, I got the news on Tuesday and it was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and I called you. And I said, you know, Dr. C, I need to take a leave of absence. My father was just diagnosed with a terminal cancer and I don't know what's coming and I need, you know, I need to be present. And you were so tough in that moment and you were like, well, you can't take a leave of absence because you don't know what's coming. We have to power through it. And at the time I had just finished writing, I had just gotten approved with chapter three and I was collecting data mm -hmm. and you were talking about chapter four and five needed to be done so I can defend like December 18th. This is now like the ending of November. I haven't written chapter four. I haven't written chapter five. And you're like, no, we need to wrap this up. And that's what we ended up doing. And I'm so grateful that you did that. But now hearing you talk about your own story, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> it all makes sense now. <laughs> I set my goal to finish my degree in one year, my dissertation. And I wrote my dissertation we didn't have, I couldn't have family outings. I couldn't do anything with a family. They knew when I was in my desk, I was working on my dissertation. And uh, my, uh, my dissertation was finished in one year. So I got my PhD That's in 98. I was working for Coulter Corporation, which was one of the biggest biomedical companies. And one of the, one of the uh, projects that I did for my dissertation was Back then, CDC would only allow you to do bloodborne pathogens training face-to-face. -face. So what I did is I built a computer-based training program on bloodborne pathogens uh, for the worldwide uh, community of Beckman Coulter Corporation. Mm. Of Coulter Corporation. And that's what my dissertation was about. And then I tested it and uh, it the showed test. that. The test uh, yes, is back. <laughs> I, I tested it. Uh, in my uh, dissertation and I uh, analyzed all the data and it showed that people really enjoyed learning through computer-based training programs. If you looked at my dissertation on the back, you would see all of these pictures of the screens of the program and they're so rudimentary and they're so antiquated, you would laugh. Like for instance, you could see a needle that I created 
going into the skin of, a, of this thing with these little gremlins coming out of it mm-hmm. as bloodborne pathogens. And that's, that's how I created it because that's, that's all we had but at the, in the time. So uh, that's, that's what my dissertation was about, was uh, on bloodborne pathogens for a worldwide bloodborne uh, organization. Okay. So I'm sitting in my desk at Coulter and I see this uh, announcement for a campus director of the American Intercontinental University. So I apply for it and uh, I submit my resume. I get a call and uh, they fly me up to Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I was interviewed. Um, I became, uh, I was number, uh, I was one out of three that were selected for the position. So I get to Fort Lauderdale and it's this office space and they're selling a program from lithographs. There is no building. There is no program. They're selling this program from lithographs. So I have to hire, I'm the only PhD. So I'm hiring the staff, I'm hiring faculty. And you have to remember one thing in the nineties, there were no master degrees in information technology. It was brand new. So (laughs) blazing the trails again, I, I become the director of the campus. The campus building, we go into a temporary training building and um, we, um, we uh, are getting ready to start the school. Well, we didn't have any faculty. So the owner flies me to Halifax, Nova Scotia and I hire these graduates from MIT school uh, in, in uh, IT school in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I bring them to the United States in September in November, we open up our first master's class in information technology. And there was about 20 students there. And so um, it went really successful. Uh, there was this uh, auditorium in this training room and I needed more classrooms because we were growing so fast. So we put PVC in all of the chairs in the auditorium and I set up a server in there and we had classrooms set up there as well. And we grew and grew and grew. Well, then uh, I had my SACS visit and uh, I learned from my colleagues what to do for your accreditation visit. And my accreditation visit came through and we came through with flying colors. We had only commendations, no recommendations whatsoever. So uh, the next thing I get a call from the owner um, and he invites me to be the president of the university. So on April 1st, I become the president of American Intercontinental University. I have 25 faculty that are working for me. I have 20 staff members that are working for me and the campus is growing like crazy. Mm. So then this temporary location, while we're in the temporary location, they're building a new building for us. So um, we're getting ready to move into the new building. And the owner tells me, he says, Bernie says, I want you to shut down the servers on Thursday so we can move them over to the new building on Monday. So I said to him, I said, sir, I said, don't you believe that we should have a contingency plan just in case we don't get our CO, our certificate of occupancy? He says, no, 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 no. Shut down the servers and uh, we'll, we'll be good. Monday morning comes and guess what happens? The fire marshal shows up and we're going through the building and he tells the owner, you can't open the school because you have to build a staircase from the first floor to the second floor. 
So he shut us down for two months. I lost faculty, I lost students. It was not a good situation. So at this time, the school is gonna be bought by career education. And so God is so good again. I have my friend in Atlanta, who is the human resources uh, vice president. And she calls me up and she tells me, um, they're gonna go through the buyout. I would recommend that you take a package. Mm. So I was the only one who quit and I took the package. I got a six month package from AIU. And uh, from that point on, I tried finding other positions at that level and it was very, very difficult. So I decided I'm going to teach online. So I was teaching with uh, Phoenix University online. Then I became full-time. I was teaching with Capella University. I became full-time at Capella University in the doctorate in instructional design and and, um, teaching. And uh, I was with Capella for 13 years. I was with Phoenix University for 10 years in their instructional design master's program. Uh, And then Capella offered me a full-time position at Capella in the um, instructional design for online learning program. And I was the, uh, then I became the um, coordinator for the colloquiums. So I led the colloquiums for Capella University in the School of Education. And then one day, as I was getting ready to turn 60 years old, I get this phone call from Capella and it's a, uh, a person who they hired to kind of clean up Capella, I guess. Mm-hmm. And she says, uh, Dr. Saluzniak, I have human resources on the line. Well, we're not going to need your services anymore after October 13th. And I was turning 60 on the 17th of October. I said, oh, no, what do I do? So um, we, uh, our program was deleted and we got let go. So after that, um, I went to water and sewer department. I became the first training director at water and sewer department for the county. And uh, with a PhD. You're still trailblazing even into your 60s. You're still creating your own opportunities. I love it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was at water and sewer department. I realized a PhD was not a place for me. So I applied to, um, they were opening up a new school in Miramar, Florida. Um, The... um, uh, okay, I, I can't think of the name. It was another university. So I got selected as the Dean of Administration there, but um, I didn't want to travel anymore. So I went to Miami-Dade Water and Sewer. So I'm sitting in Water and Sewer. I'm teaching 12 courses per semester at three universities at the time. So then they offered me a full-time position at Capella into the, uh, into the doctorate there. So you went so back to Capella? I went back to Capella online and I worked online uh, with the online program. And uh, so uh, I taught in their online program with Capella, with Phoenix and um, AIU. So how did you get Uh, to St. Thomas University? Because that's where we met. Okay, so after I got let go of Capella, my colleague of mine who, um, when I was going through, when I left the presidency, I became the dean of Florida Inter- Florida National College, which was a community college here in Miami, uh, which was consisting of um, a major of uh, Latinos. And so I used to be on the board of governors 
for Florida National College when I was the president of AIU. And uh, I became really good friends with the owner, Ms. Reguero, Maria Reguero, and her husband, uh, Jose. And we were on the board of governors for them to get their SOX accreditation. So the colleague of mine who was on the board with me, she was at St. Thomas University in the um, uh, institutional effectiveness program. So she invites me to come to lunch one day. And when I got there for lunch, the Dean was there with lunch with her. And the Dean asked me some questions about what I was doing and all that. And she hired me on the spot as the lead for the EDD program at, at St. Thomas University. And then I became the lead for the instructional design and technology program as well. Yeah, because I remember seeing you again when I was finished with my doctorate and I went back for a second master's and I was like, oh, wait, Dr. C? <laughs> yeah, so I was the director of the instructional de technology program and I was the team lead for the doctorate with uh, hot chalk students. Mm -hmm. And so um, then... Um, I decided that I, I thought it was important to change the doc, the master's program in instructional technology to instructional design and technology. And I became the director of the EDD of leadership and innovation. And, um, and today I'm the coordinator of the program and it's still exciting to see. I, I just had a dis, uh, defense uh, two days ago with one of my students and uh, he just rock and rolled. And uh, when I came to St. Thomas, when I came to St. Thomas, I brought uh, Dr. Orlando with me from Capella. I also brought uh, Dr. Molly Lane with me, who worked with me in instructional design as well. And Molly had to to become an adjunct, and so she's doing adjunct work. And then I also brought on Dr. Bruce Francis, who was the first president of Capella University. Nice. And he. He worked with me on the colloquium at Capella, and he's also one of my colleagues uh, here at St. Thomas who uh, does dissertation. He's the chair of the dissertation process. So when students tell me that they can't do it, if I can do it, anybody can do it because I was not even slated to ever go to college. So that's the story that I wrote. And while I was... Um, in between positions, I decided to write my book titled GED to PhD Reaching Higher. And I didn't do it from the standpoint that I wanted to show all these great things um, because only the Lord has allowed me to do what I've done throughout my years. But I wrote it so I could show other people that if I can do this, so can you. And if you ever feel that you can't do it, pick up my book and read it so you can see for yourself that anything is, is, a, is reachable. And when I was in the uh, Chiefs Academy at um, Petaluma, California, as a senior chief, our model was uh, altus tendo. And do you know what altus tendo means? No, I've never heard that before. Altus tendo means reaching higher. Mm. And that's what my book is about. It's GED to PhD, Altus Tendo, Reaching Higher. Mm. Because I wanna to continue to the day that I die, I wanna continue reaching higher in whatever I do 
in whatever um, I put my hands to the plow for, because I don't do it for Dr. C. I don't do it for Vern. I do it for the Lord. And he's the one who gives me the strength to be able to do everything that I've accomplished because of that one day where in the backseat of a car, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior after not knowing anything that I can have a personal relationship with the God who created us. And uh, I never knew that because I grew up as a Lutheran and it's like a Catholic type thing, but I never knew you could have a personal relationship with the God who created this world, who created each and every one of us. And so no matter what your color, no matter what your background, no matter what your religion, um, the stars is the limit. And all you have to do is keep on pushing yourself to reach higher for Altus Tendo. So that's, that's my story. Dr. C, <laughs> your story is amazingly inspirational. You were definitely, oh, and you are, you know, definitely reaching higher. And um, I know you talk about, you know, doing all of this work for the greater good and wanting to help others. And you've definitely done that for me. And um, I credit you for the success I realized in during my doctoral program. Um, going through St. Thomas University and having done my doctorate in two and a half years, that wasn't me, right? Um, I remembered like, you know, you would call every week and I would look at my phone and I'm like, I don't want to take this call. <laughs> <laughs> Here he is bugging me again. Right. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like he's not even giving me an opportunity to slack off, you know? And, um, and you used to tell me all the time, you know, write a little bit every day. And I refuse to write a little bit every day. And so what I would do is I would binge write the day before I was supposed to meet with you because you insisted that we meet every week. And so I would write, you know, if, you know, if you wanted five pages, I would write those five pages the night before, and then I would show up, you know. <laughs> so you were not writing one page a day. I was then. not doing what you asked me to do. <laughs> the truth comes out now. <laughs> I was writing all of it just the day before because I'm like, oh my goodness, he's going to want me to send this yeah. to him, right? And, well, you know what uh, happens. You know what happens with my my students is that when they finish their chapter three, and uh, they've got IRB approval, um, the stars is the limit for them from there. I, I say, you know, can you see the light at the end of the tunnel now? Because it's not the train coming at you; it's the end of the line of the line here. All you have to do now is. Uh, Chapter three is, is not a difficult chapter to write. Uh, chapter four is not a difficult chapter or chapter five. Okay, so yeah. you can write those in one term uh, if you're really, really on ball, on the yeah, ball. I wrote mine in two weekends, four and five. Yep, exactly. <laughs> you know, right. and, and, and then on top of that, we prepared for the um, defense because I remember even the defense, right? You were very involved in me structuring my presentation. You know, we went over, you and I went over my presentation even before I, we presented. And yep. you would throw in difficult questions at me even when we were rehearsing, which was funny because when I was defending and my other committee members would ask me questions, I would just smile because I'm like, he asked me something similar already. So I'm prepared. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, I ended then- up defending without any corrections. And it was because of all the work you had put in to prepare me for that defense. So you're definitely well, you know, um, making a difference. Well, you know, I, I still use your PowerPoint as a exemplar, one of the exemplars for my students as well. Oh, wow. Thanks for yeah. sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. That is nice. That's yeah. so nice to know. But I'm so proud of what you've accomplished. Um, your your work that you're doing in your journals, uh, the, the publishing that you've been doing, um, you know, that's what it's about is because um, if you're successful, so am I. And, and yes. that's, that's my, that's my heart is to um, ensure that all of my students are successful. And if they don't show up, I show up right. and I'm going to bug them and I'm going to bug them and I'm going to bug them until they make a decision to either get off the pot and, and get going or um, drop out of the program. And um, I don't want anybody to drop out of the program and uh, you can only give, you know, you can only give them that line so much. Um, and uh, it's up to, it's up to them to be, yeah. to make sure that they get the work done. Um, and you do can, show up because I don't know if you remember this, but there was plenty of my work in particular that you reviewed while you were sick in the hospital. Oh, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. You were reviewing my work to get it out to the committee because you were trying to get me out. I remember that. That's true. Yeah, that, that's when I had diverticulitis mm-hmm. and uh, I had my um, my uh, stomach cut. <laughs> and you were and you were reviewing work. <laughs> and I was reviewing work. Right. Who does that? Who does that? <laughs> I review work if I'm on vacation. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciated um, just all of your efforts and. Um, you know, just the support that you provided so much so that even, you know, I talk about you all the time still, um, you know, and I ran into a student from St. Thomas University. And when she and I spoke, I was like, oh, just call Dr. C, you know, because in my mind, you're having challenges with your doctoral program, you call Dr. C, he can figure it out. He figures out everything, you know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I try to. Yeah. So thank you so much for being that person. Thank you so much for sharing your story with our community. Um, If we wanted to get your book from GED to PhD, can you tell our community where we can find it? Yeah, you can um, you can go to eBay. And um, if you look at Dr. C777, three sevens, which means perfection, of course, you can uh, you can find uh, my uh, GED to PhD, and it's the cheapest book um, that uh, compared to Amazon. And uh, my uh, book was published from um, Westbow Press, also. Um, and uh, Westbow Press is the publisher for the Zondervan, the Zondervan uh, Bibles, and uh, they're the ones who published my book. Um, you wouldn't believe um, how many. How many phone calls I get every single day from uh, these companies that want to republish my book, and uh, but they want money too. So um, I usually hang up on them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're keeping the integrity of your work too. So yeah. <laughs> they want to. They want to. They say they want to take my book to a show and and show it, but uh, they also want money for the marketing. I find that mark self marketing is really really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you have a machine behind you, it's really, really hard. So once you sell your book to friends and colleagues and, and uh, 
anybody on the street, um, that's really, really difficult from that point. I've, to be honest with you, I've probably given more books away and dedicated more books to, uh, to people that I want to see be successful, um, who tell me their stories than probably what I've sold. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's how it is. Well, you know, you're the thing about it is you wrote that story to inspire, right? It wasn't, you didn't do it to make money. And so yeah. for you, you know, that was still, that's still success. That's what success looks like. You know, it did what it was supposed to do. Who knows? Maybe there'll be a sequel. Yeah. You I mean, it, it doesn't sound like you're stopping anytime soon. So well, I can retire next year. Okay. Okay. Well, you'll have to, you'll have to take us through retirement and tell us what you're accomplishing there. Cause I don't see you just completely letting go. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have this idea brewing in my mind and uh, when, when that's the right time, I'll share it with you. Nice. I'm looking forward to hearing it. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for being here with us and um, we'll definitely stay in touch. You have been one of my inspirations. Thank you. For everything that you've done. Uh, you are incredible. And um, I, I truly, uh, I, my, my love is truly to you because uh, I've seen what you've accomplished uh, from the hard work that you've done. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs>